the Hawaiian energy did not follow Anthony. We got back to we got some Hawaiian sass coming at you today. Anthony, give us your one minute rant on Hawaii and then you can never speak of it again. See if we can make it 30. If I was the president of the United States, I would sell Hawaii. To who? Highest bidder. Welcome to political playlist. <laughs> All right. Are you ready, guys? Happy hour. Happy, Happy hour. hour. <laughs> so bad. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Political Playlist Happy Hour. I'm Michael Kristoff. I'm Anna Muskie-Goldwyn. And I'm Anthony Barquette. He's back, baby. Back from the big island of Hawaii. Actually, it's six, right? No, he was from Kauai. Oh, that's not the big island. No. No. But regardless, he hates all of them, so. Wild, wild. I (laughs) went to Hawaii for the first time in January of this year, and I had one of the best vacations I've ever had. All I did was sit in an infinity pool looking at the water. I had bottomless Miami Vices, which if you don't know, that's half daiquiri, half pina colada with a dark rum floater, and Bucata Beppo, where we swimming with angels. I, I mean, it was great. I'll say one of the best parts about Hawaii are chi-chi drinks, which I never knew about. Mm. They are pina coladas with vodka. And let me tell you, delicious. Named after, of course, Chi Rodriguez. I just feel like you can have the drink in an infinity pool anywhere. If you're going to Hawaii, don't you want to see Hawaii? Or you just want to sit in the infinity pool? Uh, I want to... Well, so what was cool was that the infinity pool looked it was sort of around like a cove or like not a cove so you were able to like look at one view of hawaii up at like the like devil's backbone or whatever some big thing you and i could never go on vacation together that um well and then i did the i would be like get out of the pool yeah it was great and then i did like a sunset uh cocktail boat ride where we should have done the podcast from sounds uh sounds very extravagant went up to uh the north shore Oh my God. Uh, where there was okay, I'll, I'll take it back. I didn't even go in the ocean. So, oh, what? <laughs> See, I mean, this is unbelievable. You know what? You're That's the end of that conversation. Somebody get, oh, actually, I have a quick story before we get to the news. So, this is actually super cool. And I kind of had like an amazing star moment. So, I'm in a bar watching football last weekend. And I meet this girl and she's like, you look really familiar. And I'm like, oh, so do you. And I'm like, I don't really know that she looks You're like familiar, I'm famous. I'm on a political podcast. I just, well, so we're like, she like, it won't let it go. Right. And she's super cute. So I'm like, oh, okay, well, let's keep talking to her. And she's like, do you know this person? I'm like, no, no, no. And I'm like, do you, do you listen to a podcast called Political Playlist Happy Hour? And she's like, oh my God, no. that's where I know you're Are you I kidding? Swear to, I swear to God. And no. I'm at a table full of people who are all like beside themselves that this like very attractive woman has recognized me and then like proceeds to take a selfie with me. No. And it was, I swear to God, this is all happening. And Michael, how did table, you not this table say of this earlier? There, it wow. was amazing. Yeah. Okay, we have to send the selfie. So she's a <laughs> really, listener. Thank you so you're much. You're really failing at the content thing. Send, the, put, post the selfie. I don't have the selfie. Wow. Yeah. Well, cheers, guys. Happy cheers. happy hour. Cheers. What are we happy drinking? Hour. I got a Manhattan. I have white wine as always. Okay. And I have red wine. Whoa. Wow. Okay. Uh, what's happening in the world right now? Well, besides hurricanes so- and. To open to open the podcast today, I thought I would um, tell a little bit of a tale of the weekend oh. that I had. Oh, geez! Because 
it was very fun and interesting, but I went to Anthony just gave a face <laughs> like he is about to enter prison and you are. Um, no, I went to the Pacific air show in Huntington beach, California, which is in orange County. And for anyone unfamiliar, like I was an air show is a display of airplanes dancing in the sky. <laughs> and <laughs> couldn't be more of an Anna synopsis. Go on now. And the way that I would categorize the airplanes are the military ones that go boom, boom. And the like little cute ones that go like ding, 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 ding. And I obviously liked the ringy ding ones. Um, the military ones though were also very cool. And specifically the Thunderbirds, which I didn't know this, but when they fly, they're flying so close that they literally tap each other. And wow. that is wow. just so crazy. Um, and I also learned that the way that they fly so close to each other is because there's one pilot that's actually in control and the other pilots are all basing, like they're all basically controlled by computers that are linked to the one who's in control. Wait, really? It's like so crazy. Yeah. That feels that's less really cool. impressive. Actually, well, but there's still a lot of control fun. involved, but anyway. You do, you do Michael. I mean, yeah, maybe just, I just go do it. Just go do it. Yeah. Um, I played uh, Sim City Airport. <laughs> when I was a kid, so I feel like I'm well trained. qualified. But what yeah. I thought was so interesting about it is like, you know, I think that there's, it was true. Like there was a lot of Trump flags and mm -hmm. let's go Brandon paraphernalia and that yeah. kind of thing. And it just kind of got me thinking of like, you know, how we've entered. And I think this was pre-Trump, but entering this, world where like patriotism and specifically patriotism surrounding the military is such a like was such a Republican call to arms. Mm -hmm. And I feel like what I noticed being there is besides some of the flags of people, whatever, I found that it actually was just kind of this like amazing amalgamation of different kinds of people and mm -hmm. watching something that is objectively just really interesting. And you know, it was funny. Like I found my head kind of going in these back channels of like, well, look at all the fuel that they're dumping into the air. And then I'm reminded like commercial air travel happens every second. And that's way more fuel, you know, that like we can kind of find holes in anything, but I generally just found it to be this incredibly like bonding moment where there's all these people on a beach watching this same amazing thing, being like wowed and freaked out by the same moves of these airplanes. And I don't know. It just made me think about patriotism and how for a lot on the left, patriotism has become something hard to feel for a lot on the right. It's become something that feels like it must be guarded over and sort of protected. And I just sort of felt like, Oh, patriotism is something that we can all feel in like a variety of different ways. And I think that I felt it sort of oddly in this scenario that I had never been in before. Um, but mainly because I was just so impressed that these people can do what they do. Where was this in San Diego? It was in Huntington Beach. So in Orange oh, County. Huntington Beach. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It. Yeah. Cool. It was beautiful. Like it was, I don't know. It was really cool. Well, I think it's so interesting. Like one of the things that really bothers me with, I would say the last six years of politics is this sort of seeming partisan politicization of our flag. Yeah. And I feel like I do kind of fault the Republican Party for this on, on the whole, as far as, you know, them kind of using this flag as a way to say you're sort of either American and Republican or you're against us, mm -hmm. i.e. Democrat. But I do think that the Democrats 
you know, would be much better served to sort of, you know, play into some of that militaristic rah-rah that I think a lot of Republicans sort of do very handedly. And I do think that I hate seeing a partisan politicization of, you know, military and armed services. And I just wish there was sort of a way that we could move above when, when, when it comes to that kind of stuff, we sort of move above it more than we tend to do. I think right now. I couldn't agree more. Anthony, um, do you have anything to say? Uh, no, I, I mean, I, I patriotism would, generally. No, I was actually just thinking about the best time I ever saw patriotism was after September 11th mm-hmm. and the newspaper had given everyone a American flag printout and mm. asked for everyone to put that in their windows. That's mm. And like you would drive through the town and see all of those there. And I thought right. that was like such a coming together moment. And well, yeah, it's the thing. It's like, we're all, it's so it, I'll just leave it with this one comment. Like, so I was there with my boyfriend and he was saying, shout out to Billy. He was saying, he's a listener. Uh, <laughs> he was saying, he better be, he better that, be a listener. Let me tell you something. <laughs> you're not listening to this. I swear to God, I know where you live. I know where you live. I know where you work and we're coming. Okay. Um, and it continued the floor. But he yours. said, he said something where there was, the military planes flying and his dad was in the military and he was like, that's America, like pointing to the planes. And I was like, no, this is America. Like the people on the beach. And we kind of had this moment of like, where for him, I guess, growing up in a military family, like the military element is so symbolic of patriotism and, you know, that idea of, the people who protect our country are emblematic of our country. Whereas my opinion, not growing up around the military or anything like what I was seeing this weekend, I felt no, like the people sitting on this beach are America, you know, like the military is the military, but this is actually what America is. And it was just kind of an interesting moment of like how our different perspectives based solely on what we were exposed to as kids was like kind of came about in this very material way. All right, I have a tweet. Hit us. You guys ready to? Uh, you guys ready to have a tweet? And this is a. So I'm gonna let me. I, I feel like I gotta set. This oh my up. god, you have to explain okay. the tweet. This is like so, you explain well, but, a joke. No, I'm gonna read a tweet and then I'm gonna sort of link it to a, a current event item that the tweet is like kind of talking about, but like okay, it's yeah okay. Here we go. Take 100 percent of your salary and divide it by 12. Your monthly income is 8.3%. We, uh, with inflation at 8.3%, you're losing a full month's pay. We simply cannot afford another two years of Democrats' reckless economic policies and spending. I don't think you need to contextualize that. Well, just true. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, let's, let's assume that it's true. Right. I'm no man. I have a guess. Anthony, do you have a guess? Yeah. Obviously it's a Republican. So we, we yeah. Yeah. I think it's Nancy Mace. Ooh. Yeah. Interesting. <clears throat> I thought it was Nancy Mace or. Should I give you a hint? Yeah. It's not Nancy Mace. Think similar initials. 
Oh. Natural Molotakis. Oh, yeah, man. there it is. Uh, that was a right. wow. You know what? That so was an assist on my part. That was an assist. Nicole Maliotakis. So what I wanted to, I wanted to read this tweet because uh, something interesting happened uh, today, day of record, August, excuse me, October 4th. <laughs> August. Uh, for the <laughs> first wish. Uh, Yeah. Uh, for the first time, America has uh, passed uh, its gross, gross national debt uh, of $31 trillion. We just passed that point. It's the highest uh, our gross nas- national debt has ever been. And I want to sort of get into some facts about that and stats about that. But I think the thing that jumps out at me is, first of all, I think politically speaking, and I'm curious what you guys think, hammering this national debt and spending is a very effective message, particularly for the party that's not in office. In this case, it's the Republicans. But At the end of the day, do you guys think that there is any fiscal responsibility left in Washington? Because I don't. Do you mean in terms of like the Republicans have a plan of how to actively decrease that debt? Well, that, but more of this idea of, you know, fiscal responsibility, which sort of used to be the traditional Republican Mm -hmm. platform and talking point. And, you know, I think a lot of people still very much associate whether they follow current events, whether they follow policy, whether they follow news or not. Well, by the way, I also think that's why a lot of people would say they are a Republican. Right. They associate. But here's some statistics, okay? So Bush 43 over eight years increased the debt by $5.85 trillion, Obama increased the debt by 8.6 trillion over eight years. Um, the caveat there being that five of that was because overwhelmingly they voted uh, bipartisanly to extend the tax cuts, which happened under the Bush administration. Mm-hmm. And obviously the Bush administration dealt with war. Uh, Trump in four years increased the debt by $6.7 trillion. And Biden so far has increased the debt by $3.3 trillion. It's estimated $5 trillion by the time his policies take effect. So my point is, is that is any president of any party fiscally responsible? It doesn't no, seem like. because the no. reality is that it's always just left up to the next person to figure out how do I, 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 I actually don't think it's that, Anna. I actually think they know that the U.S. will never falter. I mean, it, mm. right now in today's terms, where like if 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 we're not able to meet that debt or pay it or it's not extended, the whole world right right collapses. is in shant collapse. It literally collapses. Yeah. yeah. So good luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No offense. Well, it, no. what's interesting. I know there's a lot more to it, but that's what I think on a high level surface. I mean, my point in illustrating that, right, is to show that, okay, so now the, the big case the Republicans are going to try and make against the Democrats, and I think it's going to be very effective for them, is this idea of, hey, we need to rein in spending. We need to cut spending. We need to lower this, this deficit. 
And here's our plan to do that. But and, and Democrats certainly are historically known for spending like drunken sailors, right? Yet it seems like when you look at the data, everybody's spending like drunken sailors. Well, I guess the other th- piece of it, though, is that debt from Republican policy tends to come from tax cuts. Mm-hmm. Debt from Democratic policy tends to come from spending. Interesting. So I feel like point. I feel like it actually it's kind of interesting. The term fiscal responsibility, it's like, well, objectively, none of it is fiscally responsible because it's all increasing the debt. But I think that the the Republican argument would be we're not actually spending. Mm-hmm. We are just trying to keep money in the hands of X, Y, and Z, whoever we're, you know, pulling back on taxes for so that we can boost the economy from that money, which, you know, there is debate of, you know, we could talk all day if that actually happens, but, yeah. and then I think there's the exact same argument from Democrats, which is we're still bringing in money to pay off the debt, but we're also spending more to try to help people. And again, we can talk all day if whether that actually happens. So I'm sort of reminded of when Jerry Brown took over uh, as governor of California, which is the state that we all live in um, and some know. of the time. Uh, uh, well, he's a Colorado man now. But, I'm from Denver. <laughs> but the the idea is that when, you know, when he took over the state of California, we were kind of in trouble and he did the unpopular thing, which is he raised taxes and he cut spending. And so I feel like that's obviously not a winning political message, but do you think that house Republicans and house, uh, I get, or I guess Senate Republicans are going to ultimately triumph on this message of fiscal responsibility in the midterms? Anthony, I don't know if they'll triumph on it. I think that what I would just end on here that I think people can pay attention to on the more micro level is the way that Nicole Malliotakis phrases this tweet. Mm -hmm. She's in a very competitive race against her previous rival, Max Rose. That's right. That's right. And I think that I agree with Anthony that I don't think this is going to necessarily be the message that helps them win. I think they have a lot of options of, you know, messages that are effective right now for Republicans. But I feel like she's smart in talking about it in a way that is simple and mathematical and people can relate to when it's talking about their paycheck and their income and blah, blah, blah. So I feel like that to me is more the takeaway in terms of messaging is that these big issues, like whatever the hell you want to say is fiscal responsibility when you can put it in the terms of someone's paycheck, I think can be incredibly effective. Yeah, I, I think it's genius. I think I the only thing I would disagree on is that I think politically speaking, this is the message. This has to be the message. That, it depends like, where you live. I think probably for people in her district in New York, yeah. that's the message. I think if you're yeah. talking about, I was reading today, the number one issue in Pennsylvania is crime. So I think mm-hmm. it depends where you're living, but I feel like she represents Staten Island in New York. I would say the economy is probably the issue. Yeah. Well, speaking of taxes. Ooh. <clears throat> oh, are you coming oh. in with your tweet? I think I'm coming in hot. I'm okay. coming in hot. Lay it on me. Yeah. Oh, oh, good one. Hawaii. Oh, we are back 
to Hawaii. Yeah, Boom. we're gonna have to change the flag with 49 stars. Um, why? We're never Biden's selling. Let me just war. Start again. Biden's war on well, domestic. I'm not cutting that. <laughs> you cutting the, You can cut that. I'm not cutting that. Okay, five, six. Okay, <laughs> Biden's <laughs> war on domestic energy drove gas prices through the roof. Oh boy. But Floridians. Floridians? Floridians. Okay. Uh, Floridians. 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 <laughs> we'll get 25 so your word. cents off per gallon this month, thanks to Governor Ron DeSantis' Ooh. leadership and the gas tax holiday. It's a welcomed break, especially as Florida recovers from Hurricane Ian. I have a mm. guess. Greg Stubbe. Mm, Brian Mast. Thank God, Michael Kristoff is the winner. I just, Anthony, you obviously haven't listened to me and Michael's episode from last week because I did Brian Mass. Wow, wow, he didn't. That is that is proof he did not listen. Honestly, I thought he did. Doesn't even doesn't even love his own people. Wow, I I do actually. Brian Mast up to this week. Yeah, tell us about this. Um, well, I thought the reason this was just kind of interesting was, uh, I mean, honestly, when I was in Hawaii, gas prices were at six bucks as I well. Mean, in LA and, right now, they're at seven. Yeah, no, I know. But I, I, here's um, my issue with some of these states is they usually don't have the incomes that people have in Los Angeles right. to be paying for six or $7 a gallon. Uh, now that just put me on a little rant to see, mm-hmm. you know, what Florida was doing and then what other uh, states out there and what's the national average. So Florida has now seen a, uh, the lowest price this year since January with a 13 cent decline. thought that was just kind of interesting to shape, shape it. Um, this fuel tax motor fuel tax relief act of 2022 goes into effect on Saturday and uh, it's just a Florida law. Yes. So it's suspending the state's 25.3 cent tax on each gallon of gasoline through the rest of October. Hmm. Now the American automotive association, this state average was 322 a gallon on Monday, which is the lowest daily average price since January. So as a pattern, this is the lowest in Florida since January. So it seems like that is statewide. Now, where do you think is the lowest average we have? What in the state? country? What state? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael won't get this. Uh, West Virginia. Okay. Texas. You're both wrong. It's Mississippi. <laughs> wow. <laughs> really? Ten, 10 points if you can spell Mississippi. M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-B-B-I. Okay. Wrong. Okay. Wrong. <laughs> You're totally wrong. And now the worst uh, states? California. California. California is number one. Oh, Michael, I, can, I thought well, it was Michael, actually, Michael drives an electric car, so he can't attest. So I, I thought do. this was very interesting. Calif- California, Hawaii, Alaska, mm-hmm. Washington, Oregon, Arizona. Are you just naming states now? This feels I, like Idaho, but what do all of those have in common? Western. They make United great states. French fries. Western, Western states. Right. 
And then uh, the other two are Illinois and Michigan. Interesting. Um, Is- speaking of Florida, uh, have you been following the tweets about Ron DeSantis's boots that are going around right now? <laughs> no. no. Have you? Okay, everybody treat are they yourself. Cowboy to boots? Me. They're white rubber boots. Oh, for he's like walking in the water. Yeah. Oh and my God. You just mentioned DeSantis, like Brian Mast, obviously giving a shout out for DeSantis. And uh, a lot of people are talking about these boots. I mean, white anyway, boots in a hurricane just regret. seems like a really yeah. bad thing. If choice. we don't post a photo of these boots are made for walking. We're going we're <laughs> to post a photo, don't somebody, worry. And I'm assuming that some some guy posted with the caption and I'm assuming he's gay because he's saying this. Mm-hmm. He goes, does Ron DeSantis have any idea how fucking gay these boots are? <laughs> <laughs> That's kind yeah. of funny. Yeah, we can maybe cut that too. Oh my God. Um, but here's what I just thought was kind of interesting because, you know, why have not all states done a gas, you know, well, holiday tax? I mean, I think there was talk of that in California. I guess like the rea- I mean, look, I would love to pay less for gas. I think the flip side of that is a lot of these taxes on gas, especially at a state level, are how states generate revenue to pay yes. for things like a hurricane. <laughs> Correct. And, so and like, the Obama administration, interestingly enough, there was a whole thing when Biden was considering this that they had tr- they had out they had said we're not going to do that because it is it's a it's not a fiscally smart thing to do. It doesn't actually. Well, I would. I'm just curious. Like the one thing that I'll be curious to see, and maybe we can follow up on this, is like there's a lot of state funds that need to be allocated to rebuilding what has been the most catastrophic hurricane in the United States in a really long time, especially because I've been reading a lot about how a lot of these places that got flooded, the houses didn't have flood insurance because they're not typically areas that get flooded. Yeah. So like what, and again, I know it's not, you know, it's not one-to-one like gas equals relief, but, but that is a big revenue stream for States and obviously Florida is going to be getting federal money as they should, but presumably they also need a lot of state funding for these rebuilding efforts. And what happens when a big, what is the payoff, I guess, of giving people cheaper gas? Does it at all stymie the funds they're able to allocate to relief? And by the way, which is more important, Definitely. maybe it is maybe it is more important for citizens in Florida to have cheaper gas than to have things rebuilt in a more expedient manner. I don't know, but well, that's no, what the, comes to the, mind for me. Ultimately, the cost falls on the federal government. And I think it's interesting to note that back when Ron DeSantis was a congressman and Hurricane Sandy hit the Northeast, he voted against authorizing uh, federal funds, relief yeah. funds for that. You know, And of course, now is going to welcome those same funds with open arms yeah. while at the same time giving a gas tax cut. So, you know, I, I mean, politics 101, I suppose. But um, ultimately, I think the data shows that a gas tax uh, pause is is not really a great thing for a state's fiscal, but maybe uh, very popular amongst voters, which but maybe a popular lot to Ron DeSantis. Yeah. Um, all right, here we go. Switching gears. In the months ahead, I will be dogged in my efforts to ban members of Congress from using the privilege of their position to profit. I look Ooh. forward to working with both my Democratic and Republican colleagues to get these reforms done. I mean, I'm gonna say Spamberger because she's been such a champion on this mm-hmm. issue. Mm-hmm. Abigail, I know this one. Shoot, 
And I know this one because I looked at doing it. Ooh, wow. <clears throat> and and yet all those chichi, all those chichi pina coladas. <laughs> Chichi's got in the way. You know. God, I would have remembered, but I had like 10 chichis before I got here. And then Andrew Garbarino? No. Ooh, good guess. No. Oh, wait, I'm supposed guess. to guess. Oh, no. no I you already guessed. Hill. Yeah. All right. Um, Michael, you're right. Woo! Two. By the way, count um, it. But that was, yeah, that was a good guess. Layups. No, layups. Two for, so, two for two. Okay, a little bit of background in a couple of different things. What this is referring to is the, the Combating Financial Conflicts of Interest in Government Act, of which Abigail Spanberger, a moderate republic, sorry, a moderate Democrat from Virginia, is one of the lead sponsors on. This act would increase penalties for lawmakers who violate federal conflicts of interest law, and it would strengthen transparency when it comes to um, members of Congress being able to trade stocks. Abigail's version of this bill would ban them from trading stocks altogether, which is important. Mm -hmm. And this was in reaction to an investigation that found widespread violations of what is called the Stock Act, which is basically telling members of Congress you can't have conflicts of interest. And what I learned is that if you violate the Stock Act, you have to pay $200 and then oh. you can just do it again. Wow. Um, wow. Wait, interestingly, that's yeah. So interestingly, the reason I picked this tweet of which there is a thread that she had tweeted mm -hmm. is because she talks about working with both parties. Notably, there are a lot of Republicans that agree with her on this because Democrats are actually the ones that are kind of fucking everything up for her. So one of the main Republicans supporting this is Josh Hawley, who I would say mm. could not be further from some of the Democrats that are um, leading the charge on this. Yeah, and wow. also 77% of voters want a ban on congressional stock trading, which came Just out in a like, recent poll. Come on. So, yeah. What do you guys think? Do what the, do what the people want. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think this is kind of a no brainer and you know, it sort of goes back to, it reminds me of the conversations that we've had surrounding energy mm -hmm. and surrounding regulation and, you know, a number of different industries where we're like, look, you by definition, by human nature, you can't self-regulate, yeah. right? So it's ironic that the very body that has to vote on this is effectively regulating themselves. And so it'll be interesting to see if it actually happens. But well, I- you know, I think it's a no brainer. I think that if you are an elected member of Congress and you are receiving any and all number of classified briefings, et cetera, et cetera, have different funding policies that can help a company in your district, et cetera. It's like everybody should put their stuff in a blind trust. Okay. So I'm glad that you said that. Yeah. So the, the number one, Enemy of Abigail Spamberger, at least in this moment, is Nancy Pelosi. Because ah. Pelosi has basically stalled this bill, which has wide bipartisan support. As I just said, a lot of support amongst American voters. And what she has sort of done politically is try to convince people that she's taken Abigail's bill and put it into this new bill that a committee that she assigned kind of came up with. Mm -hmm. And the bill that Pelosi is said to be supporting, which is now basically dead because it was so confusing that no one wanted to vote for it, <laughs> yeah. said that it wouldn't be a ban on members of Congress trading stocks. It would be that they had to put all of their 
existing assets in a blind trust. Yeah. See, so I like I that. It, so I found no, but I found well, not no, but I, here's what here's here's an interesting uh, <laughs> oh. response to that. So I found a really interesting Twitter thread from someone who used to be the head of the government, uh, the Office of Government Ethics. And what he said is that a blind trust is actually very problematic because what happens is that then when someone is elected to Congress, they can put all of their assets in a blind trust. When they aren't in a blind trust, they are forced to disclose those assets. So even if they're violating the law, they will at some point be found out because everything is public. When something is in a blind trust, that means that we may never know what's in there. And we, and although they, while they're serving, will not be engaging technically in conflicts of interest, they will have assets that are completely unbeknownst to the public of which they can still be serving <laughs> that we won't be aware of their relation to those assets. So mm-hmm. that's what he was saying is the issue with blind trust. So what Abigail is saying is that people just shouldn't be allowed to have any stocks while they're in office period. I, um, I, I don't, I don't see any world where that's realistic. Well, there's a bunch of Republicans and Democrats who agree with her. Um, so it is realistic, just not in Nancy Pelosi's world. And interestingly yeah. enough, Kevin McCarthy actually does not own or trade any stocks and has said that if he becomes speaker come next year, that this is something that he would Mm. take up as possible legislation. The last piece of information that I want to talk about is that Abigail's race in the house was just moved from a lean democratic to a toss up between her and her opponent who is very, um, has a lot of ties who's a, to Trump. Who's a broker at Morgan Stanley? <laughs> has a lot of ties to Trump, but also has worked in law enforcement, just sort of identity-wise, um, might be very appealing to conservative voters in Virginia. And so what I just think is interesting about this from a political perspective is like Abigail and a slew of other moderate Democrats who are trying to keep their seats are backing this policy that is widely popular amongst both Democratic and Republican, not just politicians, but voters. And the leader of the House, who is trying by any means possible to hang on to the House and Democratic control, is getting in the way actively Mm -hmm. of this bill being successful and potentially helping someone like Abigail Spamberger go back to her voters and say, look what I'm doing. I'm making Washington less corrupt. I should be reelected. You know, this reminds me, we should maybe get my uncle, whose birthday it is today. Happy birthday. Uh, uh, my uncle, Bill Corcoran, who uh, was a longtime uh, <coughs> Justice Department lawyer. And then he was uh, a member of the Senate Ethics Committee and could speak much on this issue. Well, let's talk Ooh, to him about it. Nice. I honestly find this really fascinating because I agree with you. Like, they, sh- I don't think they should be. The thing about the blind trusts I found interesting and kind of changed my view a bit because I was like, oh, yeah, put in a blind but trust. But the interesting so- thing about the blind trust is that they wouldn't have control over whether that person sold or bought uh, that particular stock. So let's say there was a company in your district that a policy was going to help or fund or clear the path for something, right? That the controller of that blind trust wouldn't necessarily have that knowledge. I feel like sharing that knowledge would very much be uh, an insider trading violation, wouldn't it? Yes, but also the assets that were in there to begin with, the public would never get to know what they were. So if I was like to Congress- But I don't know that that's a bad thing. I don't know that we necessarily have a right to know what your assets are. 
but you would still be voting. You would know what your assets are and you would still be voting to boost them, even if you couldn't actively be trading in them. But then it comes down to political pressure. Like we have no idea what Trump's tax returns look like. Right. So that I think that that was like part of the comparison that this um, this thread about the blind trust was making is like this happens already in these other ways. And we would just be giving politicians yet another way to hide their assets.